As always, your humble host, Osgood, and I see that my chorus, or rather I should say I hear that my chorus is still feeling more festive than is my want, and I'm also contractually obligated to offer you all a happy holidays. Oh, no, it's no use. I cannot abide the holiday cheer for one moment longer. Might we lose the happy little bells? Might we lose the happy little bells? I said, would you mind losing the happy little bells? One moment, ladies and gentlemen. I see I shall have to take matters into my own hands. That's better. I fancy myself that I run the show around here, though sometimes I do wonder. This evening's story is... Oh, are you serious? I suppose there's nothing to do but go on with it. I can't find any other stories at this late moment. This evening's story is titled There Was a Nicholas Once, authored by Alexis Lanchen. And I can only hope that it is not written about a certain jolly old elf. Ms. Lanchen is a writer, sixth grade science teacher, and classical musician. Her stories have appeared in Fantaxis, Red Sun Magazine, and she's also written non-fiction for Renaissance Magazine. Alexis blogs at thewiseserpent at blogspot.com and tweets as at thewiseserpent. She lives with her husband, her four-year-old daughter, and their very patient cats in Carrollton, Texas. It will be read for us this evening by Miss Maria Rose. There was a Nicholas once by Alexis Langson. This Nicholas had a full, well-kept beard and a splendid uniform. But when the people tried to reach him and beg for his help, his tin soldiers lined the bridges of the great city to keep them back. She stopped the story here, her lips trembling. I could see the rest of the story in the visions that clouded my eyes and made me see things that weren't there. There was a scuffle. The tin soldiers grew restless and frightened. The crowd didn't disperse, but pressed against the barricades. Clouds of steam rose from pleading mouths, some singing hymns and praise, others shouting, angry. Orders came down, and the tin soldiers fired their guns. 
The hymns turned to screams, and the river ran with blood that stained not St. Nicholas a deep red. Your father was there, my mother said, keening like a rusalka, lost in the bone-cracking cold. He carried a holy icon. When the shooting started, he sought sanctuary in a nearby church. The icon he'd carried was riddled with bullets and splattered with blood. He took it as a sign, Mother told me. He'd not had my gift of visions, but he knew a sign when he saw one. Or at least, he thought he did. He became a red. My father had a black beard that he kept immaculately trimmed, even as his cheeks grew gaunt and sallow. He shined his boots every day. The day they came for him, he wore his old coat, the one that still had bullet holes and bloodstains from the war. He let me help him shine his boots, since his hands shook so violently he was afraid he'd smudge the job. When I was done, he clasped my hand in his, as though he had something important to tell me. But when he opened his mouth, and I saw his lips pull back into a death's grimace, the strips of blackened skin peeled off his face. In my hands, his fingers burned red hot, their skin cracked and bleeding. His mouth worked like a silent scream. Bile rose in my throat, and I felt faint, but then the vision fled. There he was, my ordinary father. Though his eyes were watery and bloodshot, his hands trembled. He patted me on the shoulder. Go fetch some firewood, he said. I did not tell him about my vision, but he may have known his fate anyway. I threw my arms around his bony chest and hugged him close to me before I left. He smelled of wet wool and cigarettes, though he had not smoked in years. I did not see the men who took my father. The hill where the village boys gathered firewood was a long way from our building, which was likely the reason my father sent me there. He did not usually ask me to fetch the wood by myself, since the hill, which seemed quite ordinary to everyone else, was terrifying to me. That day it did not seem so bad, not at first. Ancient trees, which normally reminded me of wild crones and furtive creatures with long, sharp fingers, now looked like an ordinary forest. Dreary clouds hung overhead, and the world seemed as gray and desolate as a concrete bunker. I almost wished I could see them again, the gnarled woodwitchers and leshies of my visions, or perhaps my imagination. Instead, I gathered sticks and wood under winter-deadened trees, weighted down by heavy coats of frost. Branches groaned under layers of ice then shuddered and cracked. The sound of them falling was muffled by the carpet of snow. The cracks made me think of gunshots. I imagined men pointing their guns at my father, 
while his hands floated helplessly around him. When they came for Nicholas, not the saint, he gave his daughters rich gifts to protect them, girdles sewn with diamonds strong enough to stop bullets. I heard soldiers laughing at him, a tall, gangly man, and pushing him off his bike, leering at his beautiful daughters. Did he know that all was lost forever, or did he have some hope even then? Did my father know? Does anyone remember after the bullets shatter their skulls? Is there some soul or memory left, or are they as cold and dead as the winter trees? When I came home with the wood, the building was cold and dark, the windows as black as morning. I felt my way up the uneven staircase, the dull thud of my feet, the only noise. I found mother huddled on the bed. I couldn't see her, but I felt her face beneath my fingertips, chilled and wet with tears. There were no stories that night. The next morning, my mother had a gaping hole in her mouth where several of her teeth had been. I helped her wash the blood off her face when I gingerly put a finger in her mouth to pry loose a jagged fragment of tooth. It was as though I felt along the edge of a great abyss, and I saw us falling, and my mother laughing madly, because if she stopped laughing, the screams would come, and then they would never stop. Nicholas had never known starvation, he and his family had eaten the finest, softest bread, the sweetest cakes, luscious fruits without a single flaw. His meat was so tender, it melted on his tongue, like the flakes of snow I catch in my mouth when I grow hungry. More than hungry. My mother's clothes hung from her skeletal frame, and though her bruises faded, her skin had a sickly pallor. My babushka, my grandmother, came to care for us. She made thin gruel with the last of the provisions we'd been rationed and spooned it into my mother's broken mouth. Go fetch more firewood, she said to me, or we'll all freeze to death. The hill no longer frightened me. I felt at home among the dark and tangled things. I was wraith pale, my heart as black and gnarled as a wood witch's fingers. Hidden creatures moved and groaned within their favorite trees, the old things of the earth, half asleep under the snow. I laughed and danced on the crags of their ancient home, wild and mad. I no longer knew which, and when I grew so hungry I could no longer dance, I feasted on strips of frozen flesh, dead mice I dug out of tree trunks, dead birds frozen on branches. I brought the remains of a dead rabbit home, Babushka pursed her lips at the half-rotten meat, then threw it in the pot with the gruel. 
soldiers came for Nicholas and his family. They posed together and told him they would take a family picture. When they announced the execution, he did not understand. What? he said. What? They shot him in the chest. Perhaps this was a kindness. He did not have to watch his children die. Nicholas the Bloody, red blood spreading across his chest. He denounced us, my mother whispered. I lay in bed with my eyes closed, listening. Commander Yakov as good as murdered my husband with his own hands. And now he is in command of rationing. There is no other way. Babushka's voice rasped, and she sounded as old as the forest, as frozen. He is coming, whether you will or no. He told me that today while I stood in the breadline. Don't make him angry. A wrinkled hand stroked my hair. In my dreams, I saw Nicholas's ghost, his neat brown beard grown white as snow, a wild bramble of patchy hair. His eyes were filmy and red, and he howled like a cold wind through crooked branches, calling out for his lost children. When I got home from school the next day, Commander Yakov was visiting my mother, Babushka sat outside the apartment door. She grasped my wrist. Don't go in yet, she said. She'll let us know when it's time. Get some firewood, I asked. She nodded. Your mother wouldn't want you here right now. I turned to leave, then stopped. Sounds came from behind the door, grunting then a terrible mewling, like the sound of a cat being drowned. Go, grandmother hissed. In the woods, I saw Nicholas's four daughters, all beautiful in long white dresses, their skin as pale as fresh snow. They had survived the first bullets, protected by the diamond girdles their father gave them. They tried to flee. The youngest reached the door, and the soldiers hesitated to butcher such an innocent. They half-heartedly stabbed at her with their bayonets, which bounced off her diamonds. When I returned, my mother had bruises around her neck, shaped like a man's fingers. She was washing red stains off of our blankets, but when she saw me, she tried to smile. Salt pork, she said. Rye, barley, a few potatoes. She clamped a hand over her mouth, as though the thought of food made her ill. We ate in silence. My stomach writhed and heaved as though I'd swallowed worms. Nicholas's daughter did not escape. I wanted to believe she had but the visions never lied. When the bayonets didn't work, the commander pulled out his pistol and shot each of the girls in the head, twice. I saw them singing to each other 
holding hands in the woods. They danced in a circle, but each step left a puddle of blood, and their song was as sad and haunting as the nightingale's lament. Commander Yakov had a thick brown mustache, in imitation of our glorious leader, but beneath it, his teeth were yellowed and rotten. His breath stank like cheap vodka, and his skin was sallow and flabby. I first met him at our New Year's celebration, since we could not celebrate Christmas anymore. He brought butter and fruit compote, babushka made blini. My mother sat beside him, her hands plucking at the loose threads of her dress. Her eyes were flat and blank and staring like those of the dead. Eat, he told her, handing her a blini stuffed so thick with preserved fruit it dripped red juice. Surely you swallowed thicker things before. He laughed and clapped his hand on her knee. His fat yellowed fingers looked like worms feeding on her corpse. She stiffened at his touch, then opened her mouth and chewed mechanically. And you, little comrade, are you going to ask dead Marats to bring you anything this year? I tore my eyes away from where he was pinching my mother, leaving a trail of red-blue marks on her skin. Dead Marats, I asked. The old man of winter, he is the kindly grandfather Frost and brings gifts to good children. He smirked at me, as if he was telling me a good joke I was too stupid to understand. No grandfather would ever bring me what I truly wanted. I don't think so, I said, my voice quiet and creaky from lack of use. What, what? You don't want to properly celebrate the holiday, as decreed by our great leader. He loomed over me, and his smirk made me shudder. My mother squirmed uncomfortably, swallowing a piece of blini. Yakov, she whispered. Leave her be. She's too old for such things. She'll soon be old enough for others, though, he said. He took off his belt and snapped it in his hands. My mother shuddered. It's better she have a beating now than a bullet later, don't you think? You don't want her to end up like her father. He smiled at that and squeezed her breast with a pasty hand. She winced. Nicholas never beat his children. His son would have been too delicate to withstand such rough treatment. He had fragile skin that bloomed with bruises from the lightest touch, so his parents doted on him, protected him. But when I saw him in my visions, his face was grave with sorrow. He was thirteen years old. Yakov dragged me into the snow behind the coal bins. He pushed me down over a coal bin and unzipped his pants. A cold, sinking feeling settled in the pit of my stomach, but he only took a piss on the coals near my head. The stink of his urine filled me with rage, but I didn't move. Even if I could kill him, what good would it do? They'd send me to the gulag. 
and maybe mother, and Babushka too. My face and hands went numb with cold, and I let the chill numbness spread over the rest of my body. His blows didn't bother me, even when my blood spattered against the snow. I felt nothing. My mother found me out in the snow. She wrapped me in our blanket and pressed her lips to my cheek. I know you hate him, she whispered. Maybe you hate me too. That's fine. Hold on to your hate. Ball it up inside you and feed it every day. It will keep you alive. She carried me inside. Commander Yakov was gone, but he had forgotten to take the compot with him. My babushka made me a blini, soaked in butter and filled with red fruit. As I ate, the numbness wore off, and tears pricked my eyes. I wiped them away with the back of my fist. Then I gritted my teeth and compressed the pain into a squirming ball of hate in my guts. Nicholas was weak. He loved his children, but he could not save them. The mad monk, the wild man whose dark charisma made him seem demonic to his enemies, was the only one who helped Nicholas's son. Innocence was a lie, a trick adults played on children to keep them under control. Nicholas's children were good, good children who had died in the wars their elders waged, good children who'd waited, patient and silent, while the lives they'd been promised melted away like last winter's snows. I would not be good. I would turn away from the sad, lost ghosts that had haunted me so long. What could Nicholas offer me when he let his own daughters die? I honed my hate until it was as sharp as a headman's axe. By Christmas Eve, a few days after the Russian New Year, my hate had grown strong enough that I felt the dark power of the earth moving in my blood. The half-heeled welts on my back itched and throbbed, keeping me wide awake even as my mother and grandmother nodded off. I waited until the moon rose, then slipped into the night. The hill was shadowed and dark. The fine coat of crystalline snow had fallen that evening, but the pure white only made the shadows seem darker. The whispers in my blood pulled me to an ancient tree, gnarled and twisted in the moonlight. It was surrounded by a thick bramble, as black and wild as a madman's beard. I could not remember seeing it before, though its trunk rose from the frozen ground like a colossus. Fear curdled in my belly, but I clenched my hands into fists and came closer. Branches caught on my clothes like fingers. They twined around me, ice cold. I felt them scrape against the half-heeled welts along my back until my blood spattered the snow and dripped from black twigs. I made a guttural sound and fought the urge to pull away. Help me, I said, my voice low and hoarse. Hate throbbed in my veins. The branches loosened but kept me caught in their grasp. 
Thick limbs curled away from the ancient tree's trunk like goat horns, and I heard a voice in my head, as cold and ancient as the frozen earth. It spoke a language that tickled my memory like a half-forgotten dream, but I understood its question well enough. Death, I said, for the commander of the garrison, Yakov. Bramble tendrils licked at the blood on my back, gentle now, but I shivered all the same. The voice spoke again, like cracking ice in groaning wood. Anything, I said, whatever you want. I did not hear its voice so much as feel its desire, deep and old and hungry, and only the sharp edge of my hate kept me from quaking in fear. Can you protect my mother? I asked. Will you make him suffer? The ground rumbled and shook, as though with cold laughter. It let me go, and though my knees wobbled, I did not fall. I knelt before the tree. Cold air bit my skin with a thousand pinpricks, but I took off my jacket, offering my blood to the hungry branches. I scratched my palm against a sharp root, then pressed the quivering, bleeding flesh to the black bark. My lips formed a sacred oath. I felt the branches entwining me even before I was done. A gap opened in the trunk, a split I had not seen before, and it swallowed me whole, stuffing me into the cold earth like meat in a sack. The gap in the tree closed after me, and I was alone in the dark, except for my visions. I saw Commander Yakov stumbling home, drunk. He hummed a revolutionary anthem to himself and leaned against a tree. Then, though there was no wind and the tree seemed young and healthy, it gave a sickening lurch. The commander looked up, dazed. Perhaps if he had been sober, he might have escaped in time, but he was not. He scrambled backwards and tripped, and the tree fell on top of him with a satisfying crunch. He screamed for help and pushed helplessly against the weight that pinned him down. He struggled. I watched as his cries grew weaker, as soft sobs became desperate mewling, as trails of blood spread through the snow. When at last his eyes closed and his breath grew still, I opened my eyes again. It was not dark any longer, or else my eyes had adjusted to lack of light, and I had changed. Green tendrils sprouted from my fingertips like crocus buds pushing up through the snow in spring. My skin had hardened into a tough gray bark. I stroked the wood of my prison, and the tree opened for me. But when I stepped into the dawn, my feet rooted themselves to the forest floor. It's not so bad. Not really. Lost children come here, and play near my roots. Nicholas's daughters come to visit me too, dancing in circles, 
their laughter like the cries of birds. I saw my mother once. She came to the forest and called my name over and over. When she grew tired, she sat down beneath my branches and buried her head in her hands. I tried to speak to her, but my voice was the rustle of leaves in the breeze. She looked up, puzzled, then shook her head. I have not seen her since. I have not seen Nicholas either, nor the elder tree with its dark power. When the icicles melted and fresh leaves sprouted from the dark branches, the elder tree's strength waned. But winter will return again, and when it does, I will ask the ancient tree to teach me the magic of wild things. Then I will step out of my tree on moonless nights and frolic under the light of the stars. And when lost children cry beneath my branches, I'll help them as the tree helped me. Those Russians. I never can tell if their stories are intended to be happy or sad. Perhaps if we have some time after the announcements, we can ask the Samovar about that. But first, some news. Have you heard? We've gone to print. The first issue of Curiosities is available now at our website, gallerycurious.com in both ebook and print formats. We hope to be able to continue this project for years to come, and these book sales will be our primary fundraiser, rather like those dreadful little marathons on PBS. So, if you would like to help keep the lights on here at the gallery, do treat yourself to a book. Today, and if you would like to become a patron of the gallery, we do have a Patreon page where you can have early access to stories we are working on, art previews, and, of course, the outtakes. I would keep the candles lit, but everything here is quite flammable. Now then, let us ask the samovar about the nature of the story. Samovar, Samovar, tell me true. Was that story happy or blue? Mojin had a sure Prusia. It's a Russian story. Yes, of course. It was a Russian story. What was I thinking? Not really sure what else I expected. Anyway, the Gallery of Curiosities is produced under a Creative Commons International 4.0 non-commercial attribution, no derivatives license. Don't sell it, change it, or make a transcript. If you like the show, leave us stars and reviews on iTunes, and make sure to tell your friends to listen. And if they won't listen, get new friends. Our theme song, as always, is Ashes, Ashes by Deus Ex Vapora Machina. This episode was released in December of 2017. For full show notes, visit us on the web at gallerycurious.com.
What? You've never heard of a talking samovar before? Try filling it up with rum and butter instead of tea and water. They become quite chatty.